Welcome to Industry Nama, a podcast that covers everything A to Z on India's small business growth and job creation. My name is Rick Rosso, and I hold the Wadwani Chair in U.S.-India Policy Studies here at CSIS, and I've worked on Indian commercial issues for decades. Join us as we dive into the intersection of Indian government policy and the startup ecosystem, looking at good ideas to accelerate India's economic growth. This is Rick Rosso with CSIS here with the Industry Nama podcast. Pleased this week to host one of America's most accomplished diplomats, Atul Keshap, with a career spanning the Indo-Pacific. Now bringing those abilities to enhance the U.S.-India commercial relationship as president of the U.S.-India Business Council, place, of course, that I started out my career almost 25 years ago, learning a little bit about India. Of course, with folks like Ambassador Keshap taking over, the skill level of that organization has improved dramatically since the days when a bunch of us hacks were trying to do things. So, Atul, thanks again for joining us for the Industry Nama podcast. Rick, what a delight. It's great to be with you. And I got to tell you, you've been a great thought leader in helping design and innovate in the U.S.-India relationship for a long time. It's delightful to count you as well as a USIBC alumnus and really pleased to be invited to join you today. Thank you. Well, Atul, I, I know here in Washington, of course, with a lot of companies having offices, government affairs, big companies, oftentimes that's kind of the voices that we hear most often. But when you think about the commercial promise on U.S.-India relations, how do you look at how smaller firms versus larger firms should look at making investments? Do you think that there's different issues that smaller companies should consider when thinking about making investments in India? So, Rick, obviously, India is vastly important. It's one-fifth of humanity. And I think the Indian economy is going to grow in every decade of this century. There are Indians who talk about it becoming a potentially 30 or more trillion dollar economy. And I think India has all the potential to achieve that. From my sense, I would say that the small firms obviously are going to view India predominantly as an export market. They're going to look at the consumer opportunities there. Whereas for bigger firms, they're going to see India not only as a place to set up shop and sell to the world from India and innovate from India. But that the big firms also can take more time to get to the point of profit. And so for the smaller firms, while India is really, really important, they're going to need to be able to make a more immediate profit and find customers as soon as they're in the market. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I think when I first started, all attention was still focused on the central government and the pace of liberalization. Today, now that you kind of sit in the catbird seat in terms of helping to oversee and manage commercial relations, how do you and how do the companies that you represent look at the relative divide on policy importance between the national government in India versus state governments? Any themes that you see evolving? Great question, Rick. First of all, I would say that for the entire market in India, what really international companies are looking for is ease of doing business, regulatory coherence and stability, and a level playing field. And whether that's at the national level or the state level, India, like the United States, is a very, very complicated and layered society. These are democracies that have many, many different voices. The constitutions of both of our countries clearly separate powers between the national and subnational levels. And when I talk to Indian companies who come to America, they say, hey, we love investing here. The regulations are very clear. There's very speedy court resolution of disputes in case those arise. And we have all of the states competing for our investment. That really attracts them and makes them feel confident. I think that that's what American companies are looking for in India. They obviously recognize that the Modi government has made a lot of steps to spark competition among the states, a sense of competitive federalism, where the states can become greenhouses for experimentation and compete with each other for investment. 
I think as India does more and more of that, we're seeing certain states that are proven winners in terms of the incentives that they offer to investors to come and implant in those states and to employ people in those states where the federal government in both countries sets the grand contours of what's permissible, sets the priorities in policy. And then the states have their opportunities for individual incentives to try to bring companies in to attract them to those particular states. Obviously, some states have geographical advantages or advantages in terms of human talent, but really it's an opportunity for policy competition to bring investors in, whether it's Indian investors coming into America or American investors going into India. You look at all of the leadership by Gujarat, Maharashtra, Tamil Nadu, Madhya Pradesh, Karnataka, Haryana. These are the states, Uttar Pradesh now increasingly, that realize that bringing in investors, making them feel confident, giving them the right sort of parameters of investment is the way to generate employment and prosperity in their states. So I'm very hopeful that this kind of competitive federalism is going to be great for India. Yeah, well, and a bunch of those states you mentioned, of course, have the populations of large nations. So uh, you know, each of them has got an entire universe uh, unto itself. Here in Washington, obviously, you've been involved in building commercial relationships across the Indo-Pacific. Kind of getting back a little bit to the first question I posed on large firms versus smaller firms. How is it that you think smaller firms that are looking to get a toehold, how do they make their voice known in Washington and among policymakers, diplomats? Are there easy pathways, any thoughts that you would recommend for a smaller firm that maybe is looking to leverage some of the tools that we have at our disposal in Washington, things that you've seen in the past from your experience in diplomacy? Thanks, Rick. It's a great question. So first of all, I would say, and thank you for your kind words about USIBC, we have a great team in India, and they're deeply knowledgeable about all of the state-to-state relations and dynamics. And they try to look out for all of our members and for the health and well-being of every company operating in the US-India corridor. And that's true not only of the US-India Business Council, but it's also true about the US Chamber of Commerce. And I think it's critical to accept that the chamber is invested not just in the big companies, but in all of our companies doing well all around the world. USIBC has membership from Indian and American companies, large ones, medium ones, small ones as well. And so we try to look out for the well-being of the entire enterprise. And we always talk about ease of doing business, sound regulatory policies, level playing field, speedy resolution of disputes. These are principles. These are the, the software of business that allow even a small company to thrive and succeed without having a Rolodex or access or influence. It would just allow a small player to be very empowered. The other is the U.S. Foreign and Commercial Service. I mean, they do a lot of great work around the world helping small American companies figure out buyers in various places. When I was in government, I thought that FCS did a great job. They have seven or eight different offices around India, lots of really skilled people working for American companies to help them connect with Indian companies and try to create prosperity in both directions. At the end of the day, we want to see America and India prosper. We want to see both of our great democracies doing as well as we can. And connecting the small and medium businesses is really, really, really important. So there have been a lot of SME enterprises and initiatives as well over the years. And at the end of the day, a small company just wants to be reassured. It wants to be safe and certain that the product that it sells will be paid for and that the product can easily get to market, that it can enter a foreign country and be sold and that the money come back. They want a certain degree of removal of risk in the equation. And I think countries can build up policies and frameworks that provide that sense of reassurance. Yeah. Well, I think, too, some of the things that are kind of typical opening conversations, common law, English, that kind of stuff becomes pretty important, too, for smaller firms if they don't have the ability to bring people on that have multiple language capabilities and such. But 
You know, that too, I think having such a, a large diaspora here is, as I'm sure, pretty helpful as well as a lot of smaller firms maybe have Indian Americans among the founders or something like that and trying to pick up. And again, it's uh, really emblematic of a, a lot of cool things happening in the relationship. Uh, Dua, I was going to tee up the question, of course, on reform areas. You've covered quite a few already. I don't know if there's any other really big ticket issues that your companies are bringing up that you haven't covered already, but you've really hit quite a few already, I think, in terms of regulatory transparency, rule of all, things like that. Anything else that's kind of on your, your members' agenda that would really help to increase the commercial relationship? Rick, I appreciate it. Look, India obviously is a country of unimaginable, untapped potential. And our companies and our citizens respect what India has created, a pluralistic democracy, an open market economy, a country that is on the rise, and a country that adds to the stability and happiness and peace and good health and freedom of all of humanity. That is really, really important. And I think India's trajectory over the course of this century is going to lift hundreds of millions of people to greater levels of prosperity and happiness. Our companies and our investors in America want to be part of that. They don't view this as a win-lose. This is a win-win for democracy and free and open countries everywhere. So what they want is what I've already talked about, which is the level playing field, the ease of doing business. Regulatory issues are really important. Our companies absolutely follow law and regulation. They bring world-class innovation in terms of ethics, in terms of research and design, in terms of entrepreneurship, managerial skill, logistics, you name it, American companies lead the world. And they want to operate as good corporate citizens anywhere where they go, responsible corporate citizens. And this is where I think it's really important for any country that wants to attract American investment to have coherent regulation. And our companies are very happy to work with governments, have a dialogue, consult with governments, offer their opinion. These are often very highly technically complex matters. Having been a bureaucrat, I can tell you, and having been the U.S. envoy for APEC, that companies are far ahead in terms of sophistication and awareness and understanding of issues compared to bureaucracies. And so they're willing to work and happy to work with bureaucracies to ensure that the regulatory framework creates the right standards for competition that is fair and free and open, and then allows the best innovators to get ahead. And so this is my appeal, is that if we can have more clarity about how our companies can comply and be respectful and constructive corporate citizens, they'd be very happy. And I think the world will be the path to India's door and employ people and help India's prosperity, even as it helps American prosperity. The last thing I wanted to tee up, of course, is always taking a look into the crystal ball, which should be a strong suit for you and I both, since our heads both kind of resemble crystal balls, a tool. But uh, <laughs> President Biden himself is among the leaders that in the past has talked about and promoted this idea about trying to hit $500 billion in annual trade. You know, I wonder, do you think we can reach this without a trade deal? Are there sectors that you think that are most likely to provide the biggest bump in getting there? Let's talk a little bit about the future. What do you kind of see are the things that are going to be the drivers as we try to hit these massive targets that we all have in mind. Well, speaking of massive targets, Rick, let me first start by saying that it is my assumption that the reason for your and my wonderful hairstyles or lack thereof is that our sheer brain power melted <laughs> off our hair. So uh, <laughs> we have we have we have that in common. Look, the $500 billion target in terms of bilateral trade is obviously aspirational, but I think it's entirely possible. India is growing and it's an extraordinarily dynamic economy and dynamic society. It is a services powerhouse. Our digital economy together dominates, frankly, the entire industry of the world and is already represents about $100 billion in trade between our countries. I think that's going to grow considerably as long as the regulatory 
and legal framework permits it. India has an enormous startup and unicorn ecosystem that complements ours. And so between America and India in the digital economy, if it ain't broke, let's not fix it. I think it's going to be great and it's going to employ and generate a lot of wealth and a lot of employment over the years to come. So that's one. The other is India is really trying to get into the manufacturing game. This is a moment of rich opportunity for India. And if they can really hone in on the delta between the costs of producing in India versus the cost of producing in China or Mexico or even right here in the United States or in Vietnam, I think India can attract a lot of investment. And manufacturing is where that $500 billion number can really start to be hit because there'll be an enormous flow of manufactured goods out of India. So India is working on logistics and the cost of doing business in India. The prime minister's Gatti Shakti program is designed to address that delta in cost between India and the rest of the world. There's obviously an enormous amount of infrastructure investment going in in railways and ports and harbors and airports and all the things you need to move products out of India. I would appeal again on regulatory environment to make sure that investors who are going to create manufacturing facilities can feel secure in what they're doing for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So manufacturing is huge. The other, I think, very large untapped potential is in agriculture. You know, India has already achieved amazing things in agriculture over the past seven decades, but there's so much more untapped potential for India to be the breadbasket of the world, to provide exports in every direction to help feed the world. It would require, I think, restructuring and reform in the agricultural space to complement the work that's being done to get India ready to be a manufacturing powerhouse. And then, of course, services, which already is booming between the U.S. and India. So they're doing a lot in India to position themselves to become a 10 and 20 and 30 trillion dollar economy. And as they do that, I personally believe the United States remains very, very competitive in virtually every domain. And our companies will reciprocate those reform efforts by India and that we will hit the 500 billion. It's just a question of when, not if. Yeah. Well, thanks, Atul. That's a terrific closing thought. The areas that are really kind of primed for growth. And you know, I think the work of advocates such as yourself is really going to help to make that possible, especially, again, your idea and, and knowledge about how government works and pairing that with business needs. A powerful combination. And I'm sure you're going to have terrific success in your tenure at USIBC, Atul. So thanks for joining us for Industry Nama. Big business, small business, huge reforms, big ideas. Atul, you kind of covered the waterfront. Well, thank you, Rick. And thank you for your thought leadership, innovation and spirit of enterprise in the U.S.-India relationship. That's it for today's episode. Subscribe to Industry Nama on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to visit our website at csis.org forward slash India. And thanks for listening.